Welcome to Sacred Intersections Podcast, where we navigate the twisty roads of harmful theology, mental health, and religious abuse. I'm Jill. I'm an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA. And I'm Paula. I'm a licensed counselor and a counseling professor. And Jill, it's our first episode in 2021. Welcome to 2021. And with a new year, we get to add another set of listeners from another country. Welcome, Greece. Welcome, Greece. We are very excited. I'm hoping that at some point in time we can have like a little tour where we go to all these places because Greek food is very high on my list of things. I love Greek food so much. That I love. So really, really great things. And um, regardless of what is going on in our country, we are grateful to be in this community of roadies and listeners and navigators together listening to this podcast on um, six continents and just really grateful to be a part of this journey with you and thank you for listening and traveling with us yes thank you wherever you are listening from and speaking of as you said jill what's happening in our country before we get into the episode today in which we're going to talk about domestic violence and how religious harm has occurred in some of those experiences we did just want to take a few minutes and we just didn't feel like we could just jump into an episode without acknowledging what is happening in our country in the United States today. We're recording this on Thursday, January 7th, um, the day after the storming of the Capitol in our country. And we just want to assure our listeners that we are going to have some episodes that talk about that. We are planning, we had already been planning episodes on Christian nationalism and the intersection of politics and religion, and lots of different topics that we think will be relevant around what happened yesterday. And we're still reeling a bit, wrapping our brain around it. The world might be a really different place on Tuesday when this episode drops. Things are changing rapidly, so we're not even sure what might happen. So we decided not to do an episode on that right now, but we did want to acknowledge it. Yes, and we also have a statement on our website, sacredintersectionspodcast.com. One of the things that we both experienced as we were watching news coverage yesterday was the fact that uh, there was uh, at least one um, white man who was flying a flag with Jesus's name on it. And um, both of us were um, pretty strongly impacted by that image. And so One of the things you'll see on our website that you can also see on our social media pages is an open letter to the white man who was flying the Jesus flag in the midst of the Capitol riots. And that is just the beginnings of our response. Um, It's raw. Like you said, we're both still processing and and reeling a little bit. And um, we certainly are praying for peace and for wisdom and discernment for ourselves and for our leaders and would ask for you all to join us in praying for peace and wisdom and discernment for ourselves and for our leaders. In addition to not wanting to be sounding tone deaf, wanted to just give you all some space to to respond to that with us. We would be interested in hearing from you and your thoughts and know that we care about you and hope that you're faring okay as you process and respond to everything that's happened. Exactly. When we started this podcast, our goal was to address and speak to instances where we feel like the sacred was being twisted and where the name of Jesus was being used in a harmful way. So we did feel like we needed to address that 
on our website and on our social media pages um, more immediately and to have that be an ongoing discussion. So there will be upcoming episodes and just know that, um, yes, we are joining you in prayers for direction and for those who maybe have been re-traumatized watching those events for many reasons of other protests they may have been a part of that went very differently for them. Um, I'm starting to get into the other podcast. So (laughs) that is okay. That is okay. We we look forward to engaging with you all on this subject. Um, But let's talk about our topic for today. Yeah, we are going to spend some time today talking about issues around intimate partner violence, domestic violence, um, and where specifically Christianity and Christian churches and Christian theology has been used in a harmful way regarding these situations. So uh, we did want to start out saying that there's, again, more episodes coming up where we talk a lot about women's issues. And we think that today we'll focus primarily on women who've experienced abuse at the hands of men. And we also want to acknowledge that is not the only place that abuse happens in intimate partner violence. There are many different types of relationships and same-sex relationships or other gender relationships that we want to just recognize that that I think a lot of what we're going to talk about may also apply in some of those circumstances as well. And that I think our language will be mostly around the experiences of women. Yeah, which is sort of speaks to our own experiences in the stories that both you and I have been exposed to. So um, if our, our pronouns tend toward female, that is one of the many reasons why that is happening. Yes. And if you have listened to earlier episodes that we did um, where I talked a little bit more about my dissertation research or the study that I did on religious abuse more broadly or listened to me talk about that on Dan Koch's podcast, um, you'll know that many of the participants in my dissertation study were women who had experienced domestic violence and felt like the church especially had re-traumatized them and had contributed to ongoing abuse in their responses to that. So that's where a lot of um, my understanding is coming from. We've also received messages from other women who've had experiences around this and men as well who have experiences in different ways, perhaps observing. And so you look like you're going to say something, Jill. Well, it just, there's, there's a lot, I think, of cultural impressions and understanding about this, um, these ideas of uh, domestic abuse, about abuse in general. And in that might be held in one hand and in another hand, how, people of faith respond to that. And one of the things that I'm, I'm intrigued by is that I know in my experience, and I, I think maybe perhaps in yours too, we come across women who are struggling to name what it is they're experiencing. They don't know how to label anything, la- label what's happening to them or their experiences they might feel uncomfortable with the word abuse yeah. or the word trauma. And because they don't feel comfortable making that label, they they feel inclined to dismiss the entirety of their experience. Yes, and I'm so glad you brought that up, that, that hesitancy for a label or that need for a label to legitimize what has happened to them. And so, so we're 
we're going to, so my brain's going a few different places, but we're going to be speaking more generally, I think, today about examples of physical abuse. But I think a lot of what we're going to talk about will also speak to mental and emotional abuse and situations like that. But certainly that's, that's part of the abuse oftentimes, that the abuser sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously is wanting to isolate the victim, but also to, to plant seeds of doubt in themselves, in the victim, to make the victim question their own experiences and question what's happening and invalidate their own experiences or try to justify what's happening. And so, so sometimes there is just this hesitancy to label it as abuse or this need for someone else to label it as abuse to give them permission to leave a relationship or to even be not okay with what's happened. And so I would say yes to think of this as a continuum. Sure. There are plenty of experiences that meet a textbook textbook definition of abuse. And then there are some that are on maybe this other end of the continuum of just kind of an unhealthy relationship and lots of places in between. Yeah. And if your situation doesn't meet a textbook definition of abuse, that doesn't mean that you can't be uncomfortable with it and know that it's not okay. Sure. There are a number of times when uh, parishioners of mine have come into my office for some pastoral counseling or pastoral care, and we will we will get to talk to, about something that's going on with them, and they will very early in the conversation say, I just feel so bad questioning this, or I, I, I feel awful having these feelings because so-and-so is dying of cancer, and that, you know, there are starving children in Africa or, and they will list about all of these other people who in, in their perceptions have it, have but it like worse. have it worse than they do or, or, and my response to that, which also I often say as a, my own response to reassure myself is that we say and confess that we're created in God's image and that includes our emotions and the feelings that we feel. And so we can't dismiss the fact that we are grieving something that has happened or that we're struggling with something in our lives just because there is someone who happens to be dying of cancer or there is someone who is without a home. Or like, someone that has it worse in some way. Right. Our ability to respond to our own feelings is not made in relationship to, to how other people are doing. It's not regardless of what might happen on social media, it's not a competition of who's got it the worst right now. Um, and so this this spectrum of I, I can't call what's happening to me abuse because I've seen pictures of women who have, you know, broken ribs and black eyes and have been beaten and like you're, you know, draw up your image of Law & Order SVU in your mind right now is mm-hmm. what comes to my mind. If it doesn't fit that narrative, it doesn't mean that it can't be your own experience. Your experience is your own. Right. And I've seen how when someone gets a label or a diagnosis, the comfort that can come with that, that or the legitimizing of the experience and how healing that can be. And so, yes, I would say if anyone's listening who's experienced a relationship where their partner or the other person tried to disempower them in any way or um, exert power and control over them and isolate you and 
um, gaslight you, which is basically making you question yourself or not believe things that are happening right in front of you that you know to be true, that that qualifies as abusive. Um, and that's just a few characteristics. There's many more characteristics, but you know, if those things are happening, you can take on that label. Um, or I, I always, right from the beginning, going to encourage people to seek counseling, to seek help and to have someone else that can help you think this through. Because again, so much of the power of the abuser is the isolation, sure. is getting people away from support that can say to them, this isn't okay. Yeah. That this shouldn't be happening to you. You don't deserve this. Um, that can say this is abusive on some level. So if you're able to seek that out from family or friends or local churches, just know that not everyone's going to be able to handle it in the best way, but to keep trying because yeah. the abuser wants you to feel like you don't have anyone. Right. And oftentimes they may have successfully isolated you, but they also... You also may have people in your life who would be willing to welcome you back to talk about these things. Sure. I think I also want to say that on that on that continuum, on that spectrum, maybe you're not ready to label it as abuse. Maybe it's just an unhealthy behavior. But a life that's in a relationship that is filled with unhealthy behaviors, you choosing to leave a marriage that is full of unhealthy behaviors is not going to stop God from loving you. I want to, I, I recognize that's jumping the gun, but I want to <laughs> say it really early on and I'll say it often in the podcast, maybe every episode that we have, there is nothing that can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. And we are not bound to these rules that are created in any way that separates us from God's love. And so walking away from a marriage because of physical abuse or emotional abuse or verbal abuse or spiritual abuse, or walking away from a marriage that is just filled with unhealthy behaviors is okay. And that God loves you in the midst of experiencing those things and in the midst of walking away and everywhere in between. It just warms my heart to hear you as a pastor say that, Jill, up front. You know, we often talk about U-turns in here about we talk about where religious harm has occurred and then what we'd like to see instead. And that is, is I think, what we'd like to see instead is for people to, because what you described, the exact opposite has happened for many women who went to their church for support sure. in situations of abuse or divorce or you know, lots of different types of things. They were not shown compassion or support from their church. Yeah. And so so we're going to break that down a little bit, how yes. that may occur and, and stand out. But um, but I'm glad you're leading with, with that statement for us to understand. Yeah. If we needed to boil down my faith into a soundbite, that's the soundbite. There is no thing that can ever separate us from God's love. Amen. Full stop. Should we stop the podcast here? <laughs> I mean, we could keep talking a little bit. I do. I want to hear from you because I know particularly from the clients in your doctoral dissertation study, but we talked a lot about that one particular portion of your doctoral dissertation that talked about rules being prioritized over people. So yeah. talk a little bit about where that came into play on this particular issue. 
Yeah. So, so for our listeners, what Jill's referring to is one of the main themes that just seemed to come up in so many instances of religious abuse or religious harm was this message that people had been sent that the quote rules or what God says should happen or what the Bible says or how someone's interpreted the supposed to, the rule is more important than the person or than the relationship even between the person and the church. And, and this is an area where I feel like that definitely happens on a multitude of levels. So when I think about how religious harm can occur in situations of intimate partner violence, there's kind of two different paths that often overlap and that wind together a little bit. So there's when the abuser is using religion or theology or scripture to justify the abuse. Um, that's often being used from, we're going to get into the word submissive. I know we're going to spend some time there, but Mm -hmm. kind of when the abuser says, no, you don't get to have any say in this because you're supposed to be submissive. I have all the power and control in this relationship. I am um, the one in charge here. You're supposed to do whatever I say when it comes to decisions in the home, when it comes to a sexual relationship, when it comes to, um, you know, really just anything. And that even if I do harm you in some way, God's given me the authority to do that and that's okay and God's on my side so so when they just I've heard husbands say you know you're not doing what God wants you to do and God is telling me to discipline you in this way God's telling me that you're not good enough so that one pathway of where the abuser is using theology or scripture to justify the abuse that they are inflicting. And then that other pathway of where we see theology or the church or the church community use scripture in a harmful way is how the church community sometimes responds to these instances. Sure. In a in an exclusionary fashion sometimes, I would think. In an exclusionary fashion, in 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 directives that are harmful to these women. Yeah. So I've heard stories from my dissertation study participants, from clients, from some emails that we've received when we put up the social media post that this is what we were going to be talking about today, of experiences women had when they go to their church community, when they go to their leaders, their pastors, and tell them what's happening. And their pastors tell them, you need to stay married. You know, yeah. that you that God commands you to stay in this marriage. Right. And the Bible says dot, dot, dot. Yeah. So this example of this rule that you have to stay married being more important than their physical safety and oftentimes than their actual life. Sure. And that's where that, as you just mentioned, that theme of the rule being more important than a person. Yeah. That's not how I experience Jesus. Sure. That's not how I experience the rules that he gave us. Just to kind of go back to any quote unquote rules or guidelines were for our benefit. Yeah. Were because he loved us. Right. Well, and I think too about the ways in which that that the church community sort of taking it upon themselves to offer corrections or suggestions or directives that um, sometimes that comes from their interpretation of scripture, which I might choose to label as a wrong interpretation of scripture. And I recognize that might not be fair in all cases, but also the directive that they receive from their religious leader. So if their pastor is saying, 
so-and-so and so-and-so have to stay married and and the community then says well pastor says you have to do this that that it's this trickle down of one interpretation one piece of poor theology is pulled a piece of scripture is taken out of context and warped to say something that it doesn't and then it's echoed from the pulpit and then echoed by parishioners and it becomes this all-encompassing awfulness there's so many layers of harm here sure when you know as we mentioned how often times Victims have been so isolated and they're questioning themselves and so seeking this validation of that what I'm dealing with is not okay. And to go to someone who is the representative of God on earth for you, who is your religious leader, and to be told to be completely invalidated, that to have that question of yourself amplified and to just diminish any type of help and just say no this is the commitment you made and you have to stick with it and that happens like that that happens in churches so often I was so disheartened to hear how this happened all different parts of the country all different denominations all different types of experiences where women went to their religious leaders for help they weren't even necessarily seeking help with their marriage some were but just protection or guidance or what do I do I'm not safe and to that lack of safety being completely dismissed so there were instances of just ignoring the threat to these women. Yeah. There were instances of the bad theology of you need to submit being upheld. And there were many times that women are being sent them were felt really betrayed. That was another theme that we talked about sure. by the church because the church seemed to be taking the side <clears throat> of their husband, of the abuser, because he wanted to stay in the marriage. You know, well, of course he wants to stay in the marriage. Um, right. It's working for yeah. the abuser. And so so this, not only are their experiences being invalidated, but the person who's abusing them is being elevated. Yeah. And, being, and they're being sent the message that this person's a better Christian than you are. They're following Christ better than you are because they want to stay in an abusive marriage. Gosh, it breaks my heart. What an unspeakable betrayal to go to this place, this, you know, the church is compared to Christ's body. That kind of intimacy, that kind of familial bond, and to 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 seek out mm. comfort and assurance and security from a place and then to be met with that kind of betrayal and disdain and to be made to feel as though you don't matter. Your life doesn't matter. Of course you're going to walk away from an institution like that. Well, one would hope, and yet... Not always, because sometimes women hear this and they think, okay, I was wrong. Yeah. I do need to stay here. Mm. And and so that's a complicated thing as well as far from a mental health perspective and to any mental health providers out there listening. You know, there is this tendency and hope that they exit the system, the, the Christian, the church system, because it sounds unsupportive and unhealthy. Sure. And there's many reasons People choose to stay in that system. Yeah. And sometimes they're not giving the choice to stay in that system. So that's another just layer of potential abuse is I've heard stories of women who were kicked out of their church because they did proceed with leaving this abusive relationship. And so not only are they struggling to find safety for themselves and often their children 
and have been isolated. So there's just a huge lack of support already. But the main support that was supposed to be their spiritual support is not only not protecting them, but it's pulling the rug out from under them and saying, you can't be a part of us anymore, but we're embracing your abuser. Right. It's heart-wrenching to me that... Well, I already said this. It's heart-wrenching that an institution that's compared to Christ's body. We we are Christ's body. We are the church. We are God's family. And the ways in which that abuse happens, the way women, you know, Jesus did so much of the work that he did in his ministry to bring people into community. Uh, the healing of the lepers was not just healing them physically of the, you know, disease of leprosy, but allowing them the opportunity to re-enter being members mm. of their community. Mm. And that to, to take away community is just such a twisting perversion of what I think that Jesus that we worship is all about. And that the community that, you know, the early church was supposed to be about, about supporting each other right. and and it's not just actually when I think of that more broadly, it's not just harmful and abusive to the victim of the violence in this situation. It's also, I think, harmful and abusive to the abuser because it's not speaking the truth to them in love. You know, right. we're directed to speak the truth in love and it's not holding someone accountable. It's not helping them see the error of their ways. It's not helping them be reconciled to Christ and in, in the community in their sense too, which is also a way that the power of Christianity, the power of religious leaders can be used in a way that draws people to Christ. So we're not saying abandon the abuser. You know, we're not saying do the opposite, but we're saying there's a way to support both of these people in their needs. And that doesn't have to mean they're together. Sure. There's nuance to this. So I want to proceed with some caution, but there is there is a way in which speaking the truth in love and speaking the truth in power and these things that are done in love, there is there is a correcting notion to love. I, I'm, I'm not a parent myself, but I, I know many, many people who are parents who talk about the love of a parent and the love that God has being similar to the love of a parent who desperately wants their children to find a better way, to to have a better life. And so there's this nuance to wanting to love the abuser and offer them some corrective and directives. And you can see how that gets a little bit muddy because mm -hmm. if someone can be corrected and directed not to abuse, then someone can be corrected and directed to stay in an abusive relationship. So there's nuance and muddiness to that, but we can't say that love does not include some instruction and some some care that we as the body of Christ are not invited to challenge one another and to hold one another accountable to the things that Jesus teaches don't you think yeah yeah and i just i'm just thinking as you talk about it's baffling to me and yet i know it happens every day how a church or a minister can look at a man who is abusing his partner and say, you're the good guy here because you want to stay married rather than God loves you. Let's work on helping you figure out why you're behaving this way right. and let's help you correct this behavior as opposed to patting him on the head metaphorically. And, you know, and 
there's lots of things coming up for me as I discuss that. You know, often this is coming from the experiences I have heard from a male pastor to another man. And so there's these, all these instances of um, probably the patriarchy and help me figure out what I want to say here, Jill. It's the patriarchy. Yeah. It's, it's just full of such misogyny. Yes. So often. It's patriarchy. It's misogyny. It's gender bias. And it's men supporting men. Right. It would, a woman would not, it it, this would not get this benefit of the doubt. Right. Preach. Yeah. A woman would not be told by the religious leader that you're, if somehow the roles were reversed and sometimes they are, but if, if the woman were the one inflicting physical harm and a man came to a male pastor, most of the time they would not get this benefit of the doubt of you're a good person because you want to stay and work on this marriage. You're the good Christian here. Sure. Sure. And I want to give the benefit of the doubt to my colleagues who identify as male. I'm not, we're not saying that every male pastor is, is perpetrating this kind of thing, but there is, the, the patriarchy is at work. Yes. And it, and this goes back to, you know, in our race episode, we talked a lot about privilege. And so this is just an example, I think, of male privilege mm. and how that shows up in Christian churches yeah. so often. That that often the leadership is another man and that men are given the benefit of the doubt more. Right. And allowed to get away with more. And sure. have things that they don't have to think about. Yeah. And that's, sometimes that's overt and intentional and a deeply held conscious belief. And oftentimes it's not something that people are aware of. It's privilege at work that maybe the male pastor or sometimes even female pastor doesn't realize is happening. Sure. And how they're supporting the abuser in this way. Yeah. And we can't ignore the power dynamics of of men having power over women. Sure. And that's going to be in many of our episodes the brown issues of women going yeah. forward. Yeah. But, you know, if you were a man listening to this and going, that's not true or I don't behave that way, I'm so glad you don't behave that way. Right. And I would also just please urge you to think about there are so many men who do. Yes. And that's that's where privilege comes into place too when we go, but I'm not that way. That doesn't mean that that experience doesn't happen for women. Right. And so women are already coming into a relationship like this with less power. Yes. Systemically within the church, systemically within our culture. And so when abuse always comes from a power differential. And so when this is then brought into the church system, it makes sense that oftentimes the person with more power would be given more privilege sure. in the discussions about this. Completely. So churches sense. have to, and church leaders have to be really intentional about checking themselves for who am I believing? Why am I believing this person more easily than the other person? Who am I supporting? Why am I more drawn to support this person than the other? And truly what needs to happen here for the victim and for the abuser? Right. Well, it goes back to one of our basic goals of of these conversations, which is we want to make you think. Mm. We want to invite Mm -hmm. you to just think about how you are in these circumstances, whether you're a religious leader, whether you're part of a religious or a worshiping community, or whether you're someone who's in a relationship. I think all of those things, we just want you to think. Yeah. 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 Think about if you're doing mental gymnastics to justify the behavior of someone. Right. And often it is men over women. But yeah. 
Yes. Thank you for reminding us that we just want to think. Yeah. Let's, um, I, I don't want to stop you if you're thinking something, but I want to talk a little bit about the scriptures that we yes, find that, that are, are underneath all of this yeah. that are really pushing and, and are used to justify both from the actual abuse, but used to justify the systemic religious leader and religious church. So yeah. yes, contributing factors. Those. Well, so I just want to say that whenever we're looking at scripture, it's essential that we take our scriptures in context, that that to pull a verse out. And unfortunately, many of our cultures, that's what we're trained to do. You know, John 3.16 is on a bumper sticker. Well, John 3.16 is really important to be read alongside John 3.17. They go together. They were written as a narrative. And so in the same way that our own words can get taken out of context and, and twisted and warped, that can happen with scripture a lot. I would call that proof texting. And we need to understand that scripture was written about a particular time and it was written for a particular time or for a particular audience. Yeah, so, I can't remember if I said this, but one of my favorite ways of thinking about this is is being able to discern what was specifically written for all time and what was specifically written for that time. Right. Yeah. Well, because there are layers to the interpretation. There's There's you know, the gospel of Matthew, for instance, and there are two particular scriptures in the gospel of Matthew that are often used in um, Jesus talking about divorce. The gospel of Matthew is talking about what was happening in the first 30 years. That's Jesus's life and ministry. And then it was written about a generation later. And so those are two different contexts. So then we have to talk about the context that we're in when we're reading that particular scripture and what a particular scripture says to us when we're reading it. So a scripture of what Jesus says about divorce is going to read differently to a teenager than it is to someone who is in a committed marital partnership relationship. Mm-hmm. Is going to read differently to someone who is considering the possibility of leaving that relationship or is in the process of being left in in that relationship. So there are all these layers of interpretation. And you are absolutely right. Things are written at a particular time and for a particular audience. So both in Matthew 5, at the conclusion of Jesus's Beatitudes, his Sermon on the Mount, when he's talking about all of the people who are blessed, he, he speaks a little bit about divorce. And later on in the Gospel of Matthew, in I believe it's Matthew 19, we hear more about um, the idea that divorce is something that should be avoided. And what seems to get left out in those Matthew scriptures is something that Jesus says, like, this, this teaching is not for everyone. Not everyone can accept this teaching, that there are exceptions to this rule. It's a rule that was given as a means of guidance, not a rule to be thrown out to overarch and overseed every other means of instruction. The other scripture that I think is really important that bears a lot of influence in this discussion about domestic violence and intimate partner abuse is the scripture in Ephesians 5 that talks about submission. The submission one. The submission scripture. And how did one word just take over so many relationships? Yeah. So there have been lots of different interpretations and translations and paraphrases. And mostly what gets said in 
in my experience at least, is um, the very first phrase that's uttered is wives submit to your husbands. And it's taken out of all context and you don't hear anything that comes before and you don't hear anything that comes after. And like makes me want to scream from the rooftops. (laughs) Like you're not doing it right. You're wrong. Because like you can't just, you can't just say wives submit to your husbands and then not finish that sentence. Not finish that just as Christ is head of the church, the husband is the head of the household. You can't just say that wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives. There is so much more to that scripture. And it goes on to talk about submitting to each other, right? Exactly. Exactly. One of my favorite resources that I maybe have talked about before, but is the Inclusive Bible. It's a translation. It's not a paraphrase. They look at the original biblical languages and come up with a, a translation of scripture that is inclusive and that does not necessarily have gendered language for for God, that avoids sort of the power dynamics and things like that. And so I want to read to you all the inclusive Bible translation from Ephesians 5. I'm going to start at verse 21. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word so as to present the church to himself in splendor without a spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind. Yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I am applying it to Christ and the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. You can't say wives submit to your husbands without reading all of the rest of that. And without the verse that comes before, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. It all goes together. It was meant to go together. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to this church in Ephesus, wrote it all together and didn't mean for things to be taken out of context and twisted in that way. And to use it as a power dynamic and to use it as a means for perpetrating abuse and harm and isolation and removal from the community is exactly what you've called it before, a twisting of the sacred. It was never intended to say submit to being abused. It was never, you do not have to submit to being isolated from all your community. You do not have to submit to being gaslit and made to question everything about yourself. You do not have to submit to never having a say or being able to think or express yourself. And I don't think if it's meant to say you're meant to submit and submit all of your power and privilege. We've we've heard stories and experiences of 
wives who have no control whatsoever over their personal finances, who have to ask their husbands for permission to spend money on groceries, and then in turn are expected to come home and stand in front of the stove and prepare said meal and and preside over all of the things going on in the house, but don't have any sort of power to to care for the house the way. Yeah, like nothing about this was meant to take away power. Yes. I think yes. That's, that's just kind of the bottom line. This was Very important. meant to talk about how to be in relationship with each other and to think of another person alongside yourself and with yourself, but not to strip especially anyone, but how it's used mostly is with women. It's not meant to strip power from women. And so that's the main thing. Like these, these are the things that I, I can offer in some ways to clients, but cannot say this clearly. So having a platform like this, I just feel the need to say, God does not tell you to stay in a marriage where you are in physical danger. That's just right. Not anywhere in the Bible. It's just not, it's not any in the Bible and it's not pointing to the God that the Bible points to right. either. So anyone who is saying that to you is twisting and is trying to gain power or traction in some way sure. to harm you. Yeah. So I just, I feel like we should be just yeah really clear on that. Yeah. And I would add not just physical danger, but emotional danger and spiritual yes. danger and God. financial danger right. and all of those ways. Yes. Yeah. These, these words that are written down in scripture that we call God's word. God's word is not there to keep you imprisoned and stuck. Amen. Yes. In any way. God's, everything about God's word and what Jesus did is to free us. You know, I just keep going back to, you know, this, the scripture about divorce, that you're not supposed to divorce except in cases of infidelity. That's what you always hear kind of that way being used. And I just think back to Jesus healing on the Sabbath. You know, the point of the rule on the Sabbath was for our good, right? That we rest and we recharge and that we spend time with God, I think. Yes, And so, but that doesn't mean when there's a human in front of you in need that that takes precedent over. The rule was not about ignoring human need. It was about guiding you to help you in some ways. And so the rule doesn't always make sense if the human within the rule is in danger. Right, right. And what's hard for us to comprehend is that we cannot be in the hearts and minds of those first hearers of Jesus's words when Jesus was speaking about divorce. What assumption we can make is that Jesus was in their hearts and minds and spoke those words because that was something that they needed to hear. And so I I think it's important for us to understand that there's a context there that we might not be able to grasp, that there's a mystery there, that Jesus was offering those words and that those were words that they needed to hear. And we might not be able to hear those words in the same way. I think that occurs a couple of times, more than a couple of times in scripture, that we just, there are parts of scripture that are really hard to understand and comprehend in January of 2021. You know, as you're hearing this, if you are, someone in an abusive situation there's several different things kind of going through my mind that I'm trying to to kind of think about how I want to to take this thought but the idea if your community is supporting this idea that you need to remain in an abusive relationship or even an unhealthy relationship that you I just want to encourage you to have permission 
to leave that and to recognize that that can be really complicated if this is a community that's important to you Mm -hmm. and that you respect. And so leaving a church community, I've, I've done it. It's heartbreaking, you know, and it can be hard under the best circumstances. But when it's because you've been rejected or sometimes cast out, that certainly happened with many clients and women that I've seen that their church literally expelled them from their community. Um, the, The phrase that's used sometimes is breaking fellowship, you know, sometimes having meetings about this person is no longer part of our community. And if you have any continued contact with this person, you are also not to be part of our community. And so just the trickle effects of the abuse and how those continue. But it's okay to grieve the loss of a community, even if it was an unhealthy community. And it's okay to grieve the loss of a relationship, even if it was an abusive or unhealthy relationship. That's so important. Yeah. And I go back to, too, that idea of of being created in the image of God, including being gifted and blessed by the emotions and the feelings that we have that that Jesus experienced grief and that when we experience grief that's something that we share with Jesus and that Mm -hmm. Jesus' heart was broken a number of times and that it's okay to feel awful about these things but that there are also communities and safe people and places for you to go that are going to embrace you and allow you to be a healthy and whole person that is not subject to remaining in a situation yeah. of any kind of abuse. Yeah. So if we were to see a U-turn, yeah. or what U-turns we want to see here as you say that, as you talk about these safe communities and these places that will embrace you, I have some thoughts about how counselors can handle this, but can you speak to the pastor perspective, Jill, if someone comes to you in an abusive situation, like... How would you handle that? Or how would you hope that church systems handle that? Sure. You know, it's it's my prayer that what I said early on in the episode is, is echoed. God is love, full stop. And you are loved by God no matter what. And that goes for abuser and abused. That goes for male and female and anywhere else on the spectrum. That goes for for communities. It's hard for communities when relationships break because it is hard for both of those people to remain in the relationship in, in part of that community. And so there are many grievances and things that are lost. But please hear, there is no thing that can ever separate us from God's love. Yeah. And that includes divorce. That includes abuse. That includes anything that we might perceive as separating us from God or separating us from the church. Because God's not bound to the church. God's not bound to sanctuaries. God is within us and God is within our communities. Yeah. And so God does not see us walking away from an abusive relationship and be like, well, okay, they're walking away from that relationship and therefore they're walking away from me. No, like very much to the contrary. God loves you no matter what. I love that. I love all of that. And I also really appreciate, even though that's not the focus of this podcast, that you talked about, yes, God loves the abuser as well. Right. And that there is still... A responsibility within the church about how to handle that 
part of the community. Sure. And so, so yes, that's not the focus of what we're talking on about. But I do think when churches and church leaders don't speak the truth in love to someone like this, you know, that's scriptural to speak the truth in love and don't hold this person accountable and guide them in perhaps some corrective experiences, that that's another form of abuse when they somehow validate what has happened. So I appreciate you saying that. And I also, yes, just appreciate the speaking to a person. You know, when I think about the experiences of the victims that I've heard, what has often been most heartbreaking for them is it goes back to that rules over relationship, but just this lack of compassion, this lack of seeing a human being in front of them and reverting straight to this rule of like, well, no rule says this. So, you know, what I, yeah, what I would hope for our pastors is that there's compassion and seeing a human in front of you rather than the dehumanizing experiences that many women face when they try to seek help around this issue from their spiritual leaders. Yeah. Yeah. That there would be places for them to be seen and heard and validated. Yeah. And not shamed and not victim blamed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I guess what I would say too for a U-turn for pastors is if someone comes to you and they say that they're in an abusive relationship, please let your first instinct be to help make sure they are safe. Or to encourage them to find a way to be safe. Yes. Like, bottom line. Wholeheartedly. Make sure they're safe. Don't fall into platitudes or what you think they need. Just show compassion for them as a human and make sure they are safe. Right. And then you can talk about the rest of it after that. But Yeah. And there's so many little details that can go into that. You know, like, I imagine that this is something that um, mental health counselors think about a lot, but like physical location and what does your building look like? And, um, you know, when you're seeking counseling, like I happen to have an office that has four walls and two of those walls are windows. And so it's very easy for someone to see who is in my office. It is, you know, my calendar is somewhat public to, you know, the church office or whomever knows that someone is coming in to see me or something like that. And that, um, not in these pandemic days, but maybe there's a chance that meeting at a coffee shop or meeting in a park or meeting someplace where Mm -hmm. someone can feel safe is, is a consideration that's taken that even those small details about that is, um, and that goes for any kind of meeting, whether you're talking about abuse or anything. Where can we meet that's going to make yeah. you feel safe yeah. and comfortable? And I would even go a step further, too, to encourage religious leaders to be on the lookout for signs of someone who is experiencing abuse. Because they're not, actually, they're usually not going to come to you right. and tell you it's happening. Yeah. So be proactive mm-hmm. in checking in with people and checking in with people apart from their husband or apart from the partner that you think might be abusive sure because you know and that sounds like just a really basic thing but it's hard to remember sometimes if you're not used to if you're not thinking that way right about someone maybe not being safe to answer how they're doing or how they got a black eye or sure so so yeah there's lots of of ways that you can not just respond well when it comes to your attention but to seek out creating Um, a safe place within your church community. Yeah. I think it's important too that we, any of us 
have some awareness and understanding of the ways in which the pandemic that we're living through has exacerbated some mm-hmm. of these circumstances. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, when it's not safe to go to the grocery store because of the coronavirus, when it's not safe to gather at church, when you when when there are literally, you know, law and order mandates to stay at home and to quarantine, that that a lot of domestic violence can occur. Yeah. And that we want to be mindful of that and create opportunities for there to be healing and wholeness even yeah. in the midst of yeah. this pandemic in we're experiencing. In the midst of that. Because you know, I've said several times Abusers love to isolate. Yeah. And so nothing like a pandemic to isolate us. So, right. yeah, we right. do have to be intentional. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, just directing you to the resources that we're going to share on our website and in our show notes for this, yes. too. So, so U-Turns for Counselors. You know, U-Turns for Counselors, there's all of the training that perhaps counselors and mental health professionals have had around these situations are still valid here. But also just recognizing things that we've already alluded to, the layers of how internalized some of this patriarchy can be, how Mm. internalized some of the power dynamics can be, and that that's not a quick, easy fix to kind of just empower someone in a lot of ways, especially when there's religion and the sacred behind that. Um, To be careful, as we mentioned perhaps earlier, I know we've mentioned in some of our earlier episodes about not necessarily directing someone to exit the community without understanding what that would mean for someone. Sure. You know, there's a reason why sometimes people cling to abusive relationships. There's a reason why people cling to abusive or unhealthy churches yeah. too. And, or it's not an all or nothing, you know, a church is not completely good or completely abusive. There mm-hmm. often can be really positive things or reasons why someone might stay in a community that's not been supportive of them. So to check, I always just talk about checking your bias on every end of that continuum about what you think should happen and recognizing that a relationship with a spiritual leader can be very complicated and a relationship with the church can be very complicated and it's not a black and white, well, just leave that church, leave your husband, those kind of things as well. Sure. Well, and I would say a U-turn in in mental health arenas and in religious arenas across the board is you you always want to give someone the space to be heard to allow them to own their experience and to share their story because our our stories are all sacred you know we we I, I think a lot and have talked a lot about who carries our stories and it's important to give people the space to be heard so even outside the context of being in a religious community just as a as a fellow human in the family of God, giving someone the space as part of your relationship to, to share their experience and allowing them to be heard. Yeah. That's really important. Yeah. And how that's just often the most healing part. You know, I have a sign on my office door at the university where I work that says people start to heal the moment they feel heard. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And it's really, really hard to heal without being heard. Yeah. So to, to, for those of you who have the opportunity to hear, hear. And for those of you who need to be heard, keep pushing until you find someone that will listen and yeah. validate. Because there are ministers out there who will do that. There are counselors out there who will do that. And I don't know. I feel like it would be remiss to have this episode without recognizing that 
often there is real physical danger in these situations. And so we'll put some links in the show notes to some domestic violence hotlines that can perhaps help you, if you are in the situation, prepare for what might happen. Oftentimes the most dangerous time for a woman in a physically abusive relationship is as she's preparing to leave and as the abuser starts to feel their control slipping away, they they sometimes tend to start to tighten that grip a little harder and that certainly can be dangerous and that can be dangerous for people trying to help the woman too. So we don't want to pretend like there isn't real danger throughout the continuum of this experience. So I did just want to Absolutely. recognize that there that religious systems and people who are helping need to protect themselves in the situations the same way the person in the middle of the situation needs to as well. Exactly. And there are some really important resources that we will make sure are, are readily available in the show notes and on our website and social media pages so that you can access that. Yeah. I haven't heard the statistic updated lately, but it used to be that I was taught that a woman tends to leave an abusive relationship seven times before she leaves permanently. So just also recognizing that this is not an event. This is a process and that there's, there's reasons for that. And these power dynamics and pressure from all kinds of different systems, including religion systems, you know, can you imagine if you were all ready to leave a relationship and then your pastor said, no, you shouldn't. You know, that certainly that would be one of those times that make you go back. Sure. And then have to go through that whole process again. Absolutely. So, so we've we've talked about and played around with having this additional segment in some of our podcasts. And like my love of metaphors wants to call it a billboard section. But just talking a little bit about where we might see this particular instance of religious abuse and domestic violence in pop culture as well as in current events and things like that. And so um, I don't I don't know if any off the top of your head come to mind of times where you've seen this in in movies and television and in music or things like that or or current events stories that pop to the top of your mind. I see your face <laughs> sort of like going through and wondering it, about things. It, it, like I mean, My face is saying I really should have prepared for that question <laughs> because there's so many and my mind is blank right now. So I'm guessing you've prepared, yeah. Sunjil. Well, so I think a lot about the way that abusive relationships are perpetrated in current events and news stories and I think about like the gossip columns and the ways in which things are happened the story that pops into my mind is the relationship between um, the singer Rihanna and Chris Brown Hmm. and the way in which that sort of abusive relationship and things came out and the narratives around the ways in which they interacted with each other and sides taken and stories and and it sort of led me to think a lot about the ways in which women are portrayed in um, leaving marriages, in leaving relationships, particularly female celebrities or celebrities who identify as female who are um, villainized or eked, and how many of those behaviors, when they come from someone who identifies as male, are not held under that same microscope and to that I say patriarchy like really frustrating and um, gender bias and misogyny and all of those things but 
I think that we can't ignore that in culture that informs how we navigate all of these things. Yeah. So when I think about how this has shown up some in pop culture, and I know there's plenty of specific examples, I'm neglecting to think of one right now, but where perhaps like a religious, a famous religious leader or a celebrity has been it's, it's been brought to public attention that they've engaged in some abusive situations. And then they can publicly come through and say, you know, I've pondered this, I've prayed, I'm sorry, and all is well. You know, kind of, and then that sends... Case closed. Case closed. Yeah. That sends the message to the victim of, you know, oh, he's, look, he's so repentant and he feels bad and so you should take him back and we can all move on and pretend like this doesn't happen. So that goes back to, we've talked about before, how forgiveness is often treated as an event rather than being a process. Right. And that forgiveness is often portrayed as, that means every, forgiveness is the same as saying that's okay. And that's not how I experience human forgiveness. Right. Forgiveness doesn't have to mean, oh, it's okay that you did that. Let's go back to this relationship and everything's fine. Yeah. That's not what, that's, forgiveness is a whole other place where spiritual abuse comes to play in this situation. And I'm like, I am mind blown that we are like almost an hour into this episode and it never came up that like one of the huge things that I'm so aware that women hear when they're in this process is you have to forgive, forgive. The Bible says forgive 70 times seven and that Jesus's words are again plucked out of context and this this directive of forgive, 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 forgive. Yeah. And it's thought of exactly like what you just said. It's this permission granting. It's and and once you've forgiven someone for it once, then that somehow gives them license to just keep doing it over and yeah. over again because they got that forgiveness that one time. And that's just that's forgiveness just... is not saying it's okay that it happened. It's not a big deal that it happened. Come in and let's pretend like it didn't happen. Right. That's not what forgiveness is. Yeah. I really hope that we do an episode, a podcast episode solely on we're gonna just forgiveness because we could talk about this for hours longer. But yeah, that's that penitent, and I think that we see that in movies too. Of just the relationship isn't what we want it to be, and so the the husband and the wife have this uncomfortable thing and there's the expectation of of you know remorse and repentance and the husband displays that and then everything is just supposed to be okay and and because there is remorse on behalf of one party that it's expected that 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 remorse should be accepted and forgiven and everyone should just move on you don't have to feel like the bad guy just because someone is remorseful for what they did to you right you don't have to accept that yeah um so we, we hope we can continue this conversation. We're interested in hearing your thoughts on religious abuse around intimate partner violence and domestic abuse. Um, and there's lots of ways that you can be in touch with us and respond to us. Yes, please find us on Facebook and Instagram at Sacred Intersections Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Sacred Pod, um, the website that Jill created that is so beautiful and that has a lot of different resources. Um, Y'all, I just have to do a shout out to Jill with the episode that we did on race. If you have not checked out the page that she put together on resources, it's phenomenal. It is just 
a wealth of resources and she's continuing to add and sometimes we've got many we've heard from many of you other resources to add so um we love it when you share resources with us love it when you share resources with us and and thank you jill for just the amazing work you've done there so so we will have similar information for this episode um then that's sacredintersectionspodcast.com for our website but um, so you can find us all those places and message us from all of those places. So, so yes, please stay safe. Yeah. Thank you for being on this journey with us. Thank you for trusting us and honoring us with your company alongside this journey. Um, we've said it before and we'll say it again. We really like you a lot and we care about you. We appreciate that you are interacting with us and, um, Yeah, we like you. We like you. So safe travels on all of your sacred intersections throughout the week.